Boys and girls, yesterday at the end of class, we heard a little bit more about Gilly of the Goatskin and how he and the King of Ireland's son came to be in the pl same place at the same time. We also heard a little bit about the unique tale. Now, we haven't heard any of the story of the unique tale yet, but we do know that Gilly of the Goatskin knows the one part of the tale. And it seems as if the old woman, the spay woman, knows another part. But I wonder if there is a third part that's missing. Well, boys and girls, we'll soon find out. Because this next chapter is all about the unique tale. The Unique Tale A king and a queen were walking one day by the blue pool in their domain. The swan had come to the blue pool, and the bright yellow flowers of the broom were above the water. Och, said the queen, if I might have a daughter that would show such colors, the blue of the pool in her eyes, the bright yellow of the broom in her hair, and the white of the swan in her skin. I would let my seven sons go with the wild geese. Hush, said the king. You ask for doom, and it may be sent to you. A shivering then came upon the queen. They went back to the castle, and that evening the nurse told them that a gray man had passed in a circle round her seven sons, saying, If it be as your mother desired, let it be as she has said. Well, boys and girls, before the broom blossomed again and before the swan came to the blue pool, a child was born to the queen, and it was indeed a girl. The king was sitting with his seven sons when the women came in to tell him of the new birth. Oh, my sons, he said, may ye be with me all my life. But his sons moved from him as he said it. Out through the door they went and up the mound that was before the door. There they changed into gray wild geese, and the seven flew toward the empty hills. No counselor that the king consulted could help to win them back again, and no hunter that he sent through the country could gain tale or tidings of them. The king and queen were left with only one child, the girl just born. They called her Sheen, a word that means storm, because her coming was a storm that swept away her seven brothers. Not too long after, the queen died. Then little Sheen was forgotten by the king, and she was reared and companioned by the servants of the house alone. One day, when she was the age her eldest brother was when he changed from his human form, Sheen went with Moore, the woodsman's daughter, and Siav, the basket maker's foster child, to gather berries in the wood. Going here and there, she got separated from Siv and Moore, and she came to a place where there were lots of berries, and she went step after step to pick them. Her feet sank in the marsh, and she cried to Moore and Saiv, but no answers came from them. She cried and cried some more. 
Her cries eventually startled seven wild geese that rose up and blew around her. Save me, she cried to them. Then one of the wild geese spoke to her. Anyone but a girl we would save from this marsh, but such a one we cannot save, because it was a girl who lost our human forms and the loving companionship of our father. Then she knew, for the servants had often told her the story, that it was one of her seven brothers who spoke. Since I never knew of it, she said, the whole of my trouble has been that I was the cause of your losing your human form in the companionship of our father, who is now called the Lonely King. Believe me, she said, that I would have striven and striven to win you back. There was so much feeling in her voice that her seven brothers, although they had been hardened by thinking about their misfortune, were touched at their very hearts and they flew down to help her. They bore up her arms and caught at her shoulders until at last they raised up her feet. They carried her beyond the marsh. Then she knelt down and cried to them. My dear brothers, is there anything I can do to restore you to your human forms? There is, said the first of the seven wild geese. She begged them to tell it to her. It is a long story and a tiresome labor that we would put on you, said one. If you would gather the light down that grows on the bogs with your own hands, said another, and if you spun that down into threads and wove the threads into a cloth and sewed the cloth into a shirt and did that over and over again until you had made seven shirts for us and all that time without laughing or crying or saying a word, you could save us. One shirt you could weave and spin and sew in a year, and it would not be until the seven shirts were put upon us that the human form would be restored to each of us again. I would be glad to do all of that, said Sheen, and I will cry no tears and laugh no laugh and say no word for all the time I will be doing this task. Then said the eldest brother, The marsh is between you and our father's house, and between you and the companions who are with you today. If you would do the task that would restore us to our human forms, it were best you did not go back. Beyond the trees is a house of a lone woman, and there you may live until your task is finished. The seven wild geese then flew back to the marsh, and Sheen went to the house beyond the trees. The spay woman lived there. She took Sheen to be a dumb girl, and she gave her food and shelter for the services she did, bringing water from the well in the daytime and grinding corn at the corn at dusk. She had the rest of the day and night for her own task. She gathered the bog down between noon and sunset and spun the thread at night. When she had lengths of thread spun, she began to weave them on the loom. At the end of a year, she had the first shirt made. In another year, she made the second, then the third, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth. And all the time, Sheen never spoke. She never laughed, and she never cried.
One day Sheen was gathering the bog down for the seventh and last shirt. And she went abroad on a day when the snow was melted and she felt her footsteps light. Hundreds of birds were on the ground eating plentifully and calling to one another. Sheen could hardly keep from her mouth the song that was in her mind. She would sing and laugh and talk when the last thread was spun and woven, when the last stitch was sewn, and when the shirts of bogged down she had made in silence would have brought back her brothers to their own human forms. She gathered the scarce heads of the cannonbound or bogged down with one hand while she held the other hand to her lips. Something then dropped at her feet. It was a white, white grouse, and it remained cowering on the ground. Sheen looked up and saw a hawk above, and when she looked round, she saw a man coming across the bog. The hawk flew toward him and landed on his shoulder. Sheen held the white grouse to her breast, and the man came near to her and spoke to her, and his voice made her stand. He wore the dress of a hunter. His face was brown and lean, and her, his eyes were bright blue, like gentian flowers. No word did Sheen say to him, and he passed on with the hawk on his shoulder. Then, with the grouse held at her breast, she went back to the spay woman's house. That night, when she spun her thread, she thought of the blue-eyed, brown-faced man. Would any of her brothers be like him, she wondered, when they were restored to their human shapes? She fed the white grouse with grains of corn and left it to rest in the window niche above her bed. And then she lay awake and tried to know the meaning in the song the spay woman sang when she sat spinning wool in the chimney corner. You would not slumber if I laid at breast. Little sister, I'll rock you to rest. The flood on the river beats the swan from its nest. You would not slumber if laid at my breast. The raindrops encumber the hawthorn's crest. My thoughts have no number. You would not slumber if laid at my breast. Little sister, I'll rock you to rest. Sheen passed the night between sleeping and waking, and when the light grew, she saw the white grouse crouching against the window opening. So she opened the door and stepped outside to let the grouse fly from her hands. And there, on the ground before her, was a sword. She knew it to be the sword of a man she had seen yesterday, and she knew the man had been before the door in the nighttime. She knelt on the ground to look at the bright blue blade. Oh, dear children, if I was there, I was in the crows that flew down heavily and caught as they picked up something that pleased them. In the wood cushats that cooed in the trees and in the small birds that quarreled in the thatch of the house and in the breeze that blew round, the first breeze of the day. The spay woman came outside and saw what Sheen was looking at, the sword on the ground. It is wrought with cunning that only the smiths of kings possess, she said. So she took the sword and hung it on the branch of a tree so that the dews of the ground might not rest it. 
I think the one who owns it is the stranger who is seen in the wild places hereabouts, the man whom the neighbors call the Hunter King, she said to Sheen. On another day, Sheen went to gather bog down. This time she crossed the river by the stepping stones and went into a country where there were many cattle. She stood wondering at their numbers and wishing that such a cow and such a calf might belong to the spay woman. Then the next thing she saw was two black horses striving with each other. They showed their teeth at each other and bit and kicked and neighed. Then they came racing toward her. Oh, said Sheen to herself, they are Briogan's wild stallions. She ran, but the horses were able to make circles around her. Briogan's wild stallions, she said. They will rush in and trample me to death. But just then, she heard someone shouting commands to the horses. And she saw a man strike one of the stallions with his staff, making him rear high. She saw him make the other stand with the command that was in his voice. Sheen ran to the river, but she slipped on the stepping stones and fell down, and she felt the water flowing over her. The man came and lifted her up and carried her to her own side of the river. Across the bog he carried her, and when she looked at him, she saw the lean face and blue eyes like gentian flowers. She saw the face of the man who was called the Hunter King. He left her on the ground when they passed the bog, and she went on her way, once more, without speaking. Nothing of this no more than of anything else that happened to her, or anything that she thought of, did she tell the spay woman. But she wished and she wished that the hunter king might come past, while there was a light in the house, and step within and talk to the spay woman, so that she herself, while spinning the thread, could hear his voice and listen to the things he talked about. She often stood at the door and watched across the bog to see if anything was coming for her. A neighbor woman came across the doorstep one evening, and Sheen went into the house after her, for she felt that something was going to be told. There was a dead man in a house. He had been found in the wood. He was known as the Hunter King. Sheen stood at her bed and heard what the neighbor woman had said. The hunter king was being waked in the neighbor woman's house, and her eldest daughter had been the corpse watcher the first night. In the morning, they found that the girl's hand had been withered. The women's second daughter was the corpse watcher's the second night, and her right hand had been left trembling. This was the third and last night that the hunter king would be waked, and tonight there was no one to watch his corpse. Sheen thought that nothing would ever happen in the world again, now that the hunter king was dead. She thought that there was no loneliness so great as that of his corpse, with no one to watch it on the last strange night it would be above ground. The neighbor woman went from the spay woman, and Sheen went after her. She was standing on the doorstep of her house. Oh, Colleen, said the neighbor woman. I am wanting a girl to watch a corpse in my house tonight, the third and the last night for watching. 
Will you watch and I will give you a comb for your hair? Sheen showed that she would serve the woman and she went into the wake house. At first, she was afraid to look at the bed. But then she went over and saw the hunter king with his face still, his eyes closed down and a plate of salt on his breast. His gray gaunt hound was stretched across his feet. The woman and her daughters lit candles and placed them in the window recesses and at the head of the corpse. Then they went into their dormer room and left Sheen to her watching. Sheen sat at the fire and made one stick after another blaze up. She had brought her basket of bog down and she began to spin a thread upon the neighbor woman's wheel. She finished the thread and put it round her neck. Then she began to search for more candles so that she might be able to light one as another went out. But as she rose up, all the candles went out all at once. The hound woke from the foot of the bed. And then she saw the corpse sitting up stiffly in the place where it had been laid. Something in Sheen overcame her dread, and she went over to the corpse and took the salt that was on its breast and put it on its lips. Then a voice came from between the lips. Fair maid, said the voice, have you the courage to follow me? The others failed me, and they have been stricken. Are you faithful? I will follow you, said Sheen. Then, said the corpse, put your hands on my shoulders and come with me. I must go over the quaking bog and through the burning forest and across the icy sea. Sheen put her hands on his shoulders. A storm came and they were swept through the roof of the house. They were carried all through the night until at last down they came on the ground and the dead man sprang away from Sheen. She went to follow him and found her feet upon a shaking sod. They were on the quaking bog she knew. The corpse of the hunter king went ahead and she knew that she must keep it in sight for swiftly he went. The sod sank under her feet and she was in the watery mud. She struggled out and jumped over a pool that was hidden with heather. All the time she was in dread that the figure that went before her so quickly would be lost to her. She sank and she struggled and then she sprang across pools and morasses. All the time what had been the corpse of the hunter king went before her. Then she saw fires against the sky and she knew they were coming to the burning forest. The figure before her sprang across a ditch and went into the forest and she sprang across it too. Burning branches fell across her path as she went. Hot winds burnt her face and flames dazzled and smoke dazed her. But the figure before her went straight on and so Sheen went straight on too. The forest ended at a cliff and below was the sea. The figure before her dove down and Sheen dove too. The cold chilled her to the marrow. 
She thought the chill would drive the life right out of her. But then she saw the head of one swimming before her, and so she swam on. And then at last they were on land again. Fair maid, said the corpse of the hunter king, put your hands on my shoulders again. And so she did. And again a storm came and swept them away. They were driven through the roof of the neighbor woman's home, and the candle wicks fluttered, and the light came on. And she saw the hound standing in the middle of the floor, and she saw the corpse sitting where it had been, and the eyes were now open. Fair maid, said the voice of the hunter king, you have brought me back to life. I am a man under enchantment. There is a witch woman in the wood that I gave my love to. She enchanted me so that my soul was out of my body and wandering away. It was my soul you followed. And the enchantment was to be broken when I far found a heart so faithful that it would follow my soul over the quaking bog, through the burning forest, and across the icy sea. You have brought my soul and my life back to me. At that, Sheen ran out of the neighbor's house.